This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Cotgreave, who is a senior data evangelist at a very well-known company named Tableau. So Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Well, hello, Kyle. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. No, we're, uh, I'm looking forward to this. And obviously, I think when you and I first connected, I said I'd been following your stuff on LinkedIn for a while around um, kind of communicating with data and the art of storytelling and visualization and dashboards and all of that type of stuff. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more from someone like yourself. But I guess where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and I guess journey up until this point in time, if you would. Yeah, so uh, I'm Andy Cotgreave. I'm Senior Data Evangelist at Tableau, now part of Salesforce. Uh, So what what does that mean? Uh, An evangelist, it's a slightly West Coast tech company job title, but my job is essentially to try and enthuse people about the possibilities in the world of data. Uh, And then by, you know, the specific mission of my job is to do that and then draw people to the company I work with, which happens to be Tableau and Salesforce. Uh, my own deep passion is about how people communicate with data uh, by developing their data literacy and working in strong data cultures. So that's the current day job, but we can talk a bit more about some of the details if you want. Uh, history of getting here. Well, I used to be a frustrated data analyst at the University of Oxford, analyzing student data way back in 2007 which is feeling slightly prehistory these days, but uh, we were using appalling BI tools. And out of frustration, I Googled around and went a bit rogue and installed this new product called Tableau Desktop version 3. And, well, you know, and then that changed the career because that product just opened me to a world of more powerful visual analytics, incredible data exploration, 
beautiful dashboards and you know i realized pretty quickly it was a product that was going to disrupt the market so i started blogging and speaking about what i was learning and about the field of data visualization and joined the company in 2011 uh and i mean i'll I'll stop there but yeah there's a lot more history than that but uh it's been an amazing ride and i've got a very uh it's a really privileged job to have yeah absolutely so yeah i'm just obviously looking through your um through your illustrious CV and obviously so started in the software space and then into the research space. And then you mentioned being a data analyst at the university of Oxford and yep. then products, then content around data products, uh, seemingly, and then into the role now that so, I mean, it's a, it's a very unusual route to where you are, but a, a fascinating one. Well, actually it is. I mean, just to dive into that a little bit, um, I've started doing a lot more talks to, people knew in their career and it's been an interesting time to reflect you know going way back i left school wanting to do an art foundation course i ended up going to the arctic for that summer before university so I changed my mind and wanted to study geography and glaciers uh then so i did a bit of that then did a computer science conversion degree and got my first job as a software engineer ended up doing that for several years then bummed around new zealand on a bike for a year that was 20 no that was 30 years ago 2093 then did business research, then started developing charts, and then ended up at the University of Oxford. Right, okay, so woof, that's a very, very rapid career history. But the thing that's interesting about that is people ask, you know, Andy, how do you get a career in data analytics, business intelligence, data communication? And it's like, well, that career, the skills of that career are multifaceted because you need to be a an engineer and understand the product and the tools. But you need to be an artist and a creative person because there's the art of communication. You know, it's very, very much uh, there's an art in there. But you need humanity skills, so the skills of empathy, understanding people's requirements and communicating back. And you need, you know, communication skills as well. So I I also did a bunch of journalism and uh, hotel bike guiding as well. And so accidentally my my career history gave me the skills to be a data evangelist the data analyst and then develop into evangelism but it's it is it is an important lesson i i've found that successful data analysts uh, actually have quite a diverse skill set and you know people from humanities backgrounds often excel in this field yeah absolutely i mean it's interesting you know we we host a, a series of data leadership events if you want to call it that and it's fascinating the number of people that are in very high profile cdo type jobs who did uh geography as a, yep. as a degree it's uh it is interesting yeah so i guess just very quickly before we jump into the meat of the topic today then just distill what being an evangelist means for you at tableau in terms of what's the data you know what type of stuff are you doing day to day within the organization and i guess what is the end goal that tableau want you to help them to achieve yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the day-to-day is I generate content uh, that inspires audiences, be they at events, be they uh, viewers of social media or blogs or LinkedIn, uh, or customer, or I, I would actually go to customer events and um, you know speak to speak to customers. And that the, the type of content that is is gen- it might be sort of thought leadership keynotes. It might be showing off the Tableau product itself. Uh, it might be hosting IronViz, which is a big data viz competition we do at Tableau. You know, big, massive uh, six thousand people attended the last one live. 
Um, I also host Chart Chat, which is a monthly video series where me and my uh, well, some co-hosts, uh, we geek out about data visualizations we see in the wild each month. That's that's largely the day job, is make content that inspires people. And then the reason that is useful for a tech company or for any company that employs an evangelist is that in some way I'm cr- trying to create fairly high funnel content, you know, pe- content that can be used by our social media teams or just used to inspire customers in any way. And then once they're inspired, going, oh, that, that stuff by that evangelist, that got me thinking about data culture and data communication. And then, you know, what I'm also doing is kind of signposting them towards the platform uh, I work for, which is uh, Tableau. So it's about inspiring content from an authentic, passionate professional who's got a, a semi-independent track record. Uh, but, you know, my... my I tie my, you know, I tie myself to the power of Tableau because I do think it's the best product on the market still. Yeah, nice, perfect. No, thanks for, thanks for that. Interesting, uh, fascinating. There, you've used kind of communication and culture a couple of occasions together within the same realm. So, I guess jumping into it, then obviously, I think I find this fascinating because I think what what we have realised and have probably proven over the last few years, particularly, is that not every person in the data analytics space needs to be super technical python Mm. ml wizard right and the i hate using the term but the softer skills in quotation marks like um communication and storytelling and influencing and all of that type of of stuff have definitely found more of a place within data and analytics teams more generally yeah from conversations I have on this podcast and at the events and in the day job, et cetera, you know, I often hear the, about the, the importance of communication, but it's always said very flippantly, like, you know, yeah, communication is key. Communication is important. And, and absolutely it is. However, what I would love to understand from you is, you know, what, what does communication and communicating with data mean to you i think that'd be a great starting point all right so first of all uh so my my good friend alberto cairo who has written many books on the field uh my favorite of which is called how charts lie great book uh he sent a tweet i was back in 2018 it's like and i'm not getting a you here carl but the tweets essentially read if you if you use the tired cliche soft skill to talk about communications and presentations and you're a data analyst. It shows you have no clue what those careers are about. <laughs> so that's not that's no 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 shade on you, Kyle. But it but I I thought it was an incredibly powerful tweet, and I had to unlearn my process of ever describing them as soft skills because it's totally true. It's it, what you said was totally true, and you know even your pain in using the phrase right. It's it's not a soft skill. It's an absolutely vital skill because if I'm a really powerful engineer. And I can do miraculous things with data. And then I show them to my stakeholders and they're looking at some stupidly complex, poorly presented, unreadable dashboard or chart on the slide. Well, what was the point? It was an absolutely pointless endeavor, right? And that is, so that goes, that that's the number of it. You, you, know, you know, companies, like they're investing in, data stacks, you know, storage, analysis, preparation. They're investing in analysts to find insights, right? But then what's the point of that investment? It's you want to 
drive change in your organization by making better, more informed decisions. And you do that by sharing insight in a correctly framed way. So uh, so to all our listeners and to you, Carl, let's not use that phrase soft skill. <laughs> it's a hard skill. Uh, yeah, there you go. So yeah, yeah. That, I'll, I'll stop uh, look, com- com- Completely with you here. That's why I always, you know, and it's, it's I don't know why I do it because no one can see me doing the quotation marks on, the, uh, <laughs> on an audio <laughs> podcast, but absolutely with you. All of that, you know, those, again, soft skills are the hardest to master and the ones that actually make the difference, in my opinion. I think yeah. we've done that time and time again. Um, What's the relationship then here between written uh, or presented communication with data versus uh-huh. the articulation of spoken words around that? I presume you there's an intersection here. I've with... thought about that somewhat. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll quote another friend, uh, Kim Reese. She she found that she's based in uh, well, she's now in Washington, uh, but she was based in Portland, Oregon, and used to run a uh, data viz consultancy called Periscopic, and uh, she said. A quote that kind of one of the quotes that really inspired my career, or a big pivot in my career about nine years ago. She was like, "Data visualization is a language, a means to convey an opinion or an argument." Uh, and again, this is a perfectly, perfectly coined piece of inspiration because we can step back and go, "Okay, a chart. It's made with data, and data is engineering, and it's kind of." you know it's it's hard edged stuff so when i draw a bar chart i'm showing the numbers and that's brilliant right it's it's hard fast factual based uh, visual information and it's like well yeah but unfortunately that's completely bs because first of all let's take if i wanted to make a bar chart of average listeners to your podcast uh, by country, would I take which average would I take? Would I take the mean, the mode, or the median? Well, each of those could portray a very, very different story. So even the most boring, apparently neutral data visualization choice you make is highly subjective in the same way the written word is. Secondly, and you know, we can't really show this in a podcast, but we can share links. I can share links with people. It is so easy to frame a chart design using font or color or notation to take literally the same chart and convey completely different stories, right? You don't even need to change the data. I can make, I can, I can control how you do this. You know, and that's based on, you know, also all the psychological research from Tversky and Kahneman about framing and things like that. And you can do that. So data visualization, I always say, you know, think about a newspaper. Do you remember those? Uh, there was the kind of the reporting section of the newspaper, and then there was the opinion section, the, the leading articles and the comment pieces. Data visualization is the comment pieces of a newspaper. However much we might want it to be neutral, it doesn't always turn out that way. And so that's why having this communicate, this empathy, communication skills, and thinking about that is really important. Let's give uh, an example. If you think about what did we all live through for the last three years? COVID pandemic. And think about all the visuals you saw over that period, right? Now, in the government here in the UK and, and, and across the world, the governments were communicating to a nervous population about an uncertain disease through press conferences. And we had a tsunami of charts uh, thrown at us. You know, the pandemic made, made the population more data literate. But if you think about for the governments, when they were putting charts on slides, 
they had to make them super neutral, right? They had to work really hard to make sure those charts were neutral because the media were going to pounce on anything that was deemed as, uh, you know, somehow misleading or over persuasive. So, you know, the, the number 10 did a great job of creating neutral charts in the, in the UK government press conferences. But then compare that, you know, once we kind of got into that, there was pro-vaccination, anti-vaccination, pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown. They were all using data visualizations to try and push you down one way or another. Um, and 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 so that you know that the pandemic was a really interesting example of how you could strive to be neutral or you could strive to really sit on one side of the fence. So yeah, um it's very much as powerful as the written word. Interesting. No, that's that's absolutely fascinating. I guess obviously what we tried to get to on this podcast as much as possible, Andy, is you know, tying everything we're talking about back to how we kind of create and, and realize business value through the use of data and analytics. Yeah. Right? I guess just keen to get your um your thoughts on how impactful kind of dashboards and data viz are in that broader scope of realizing business value and the journey that you need to go on to make that happen. Yeah. Well, so I mean it, it's good we're starting to do this uh classification almost of the types of places we use data in our organization. So dashboards, uh, by the way, I, I co-wrote the big book of dashboards uh, in 2017, which is still going strong. And if people are interested in dashboards, then I highly recommend they choose that book. Dashboard, <laughs> um, that, that, Right, so we've got dashboards and then we've got data viz we might use elsewhere. So dashboards are about articulating uh, information about systems we need to monitor, right? Our, our podcast listens going up or down episode by episode, right? Are we hitting our sales targets? Uh, is employee churn or employees staying or leaving? And there's a whole art in creating effective dashboards, uh, which which we can come on to in, in a bit more detail. But contrast that to the other places, we mustn't forget we can use data and, and the output of analytics, and that is in driving change. If I'm going to communicate to my CEO about an idea of driving change, then I can use data to prove my hypothesis and prove results. If I am the CEO, I could go and talk to my colleagues, my employees, or my stakeholders and talk about the business. And it's really important to think about that part of data analysis. You know, uh, one thing that really frustrates me is when people put charts on slides and you can't read them. And you hear the line, oh, I'm sorry, this chart looks a bit complicated. It's like, well, then you've not thought about the importance of this. Um, some great examples, you know, we've got loads of Tableau customers, uh, big retailers. They empower their, their users. They give everybody access to Tableau, right? And then realizing that one of the really strong outcomes of that is that the, the, the CDO and the CEO, they might sponsor these big, shiny dashboard projects for the high level of the organization. Right, but they only fulfill the needs of the higher up people in the in the organization, right? And yet, the person at the front line is the person who actually knows the business incredibly well. You know, we've got examples of retailers where they built a high level dashboard, but once they gave everybody access to the powerful data tools, they were finding ways to change the ingredients, change the way they use bread ingredients. Right, that's a seemingly trivial thing, but the outcome of that was that person knew their problem and they ended up saving hundreds of thousands of dollars of pounds a year because this person had curiosity, had access to data, 
had access to powerful tools and could com- communicate it to their leadership and they were solving their problems, right? So you've got dashboards, data for presentation, and then a real need to put data analytics tools in the hands of everybody in an organization so they so that curious people can find opportunities for revenue saving. Mm, yeah. Talk us through, I guess, the the mechanics, if you like, of the, the way that de- uh, data is presented and why that's so important. Yeah. Uh, so uh, data, so, okay, let's, all right, I'm going to try and do a non-visual description of why data visualization is important. Right. If you think about, we look at bar charts, we encode data with length. So we could, our eyes are very well evolved to see accurately compare the differences in lengths of a couple of bars, right? You can see if one bar is twice the size of another. Uh, we can use circles, bubble charts, and we can see the different sizes, right? These are things called pre-attentive attributes. Uh, and that's they essentially form the atoms of data visualizations, uh, length, width, sl- slopes of lines, pie chart angles, right? We can, we can encode those in or decode those uh, very efficiently with, with different levels, right? That's essentially the process of creating data visualization. But we then need to take that information and convey the insight so that our audience can understand it. Let's say we're going to put a chart on our screen, uh, on a, a chart on a slide in a presentation. If you ever hear somebody say, oh, sorry, the font looks a bit small, but as you can see, blah, 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 you, it's, a, it's a giveaway that they've not actually thought about the way in which that chart needs to be presented. Sure, it might be a useful bar chart, but if the person in the room can't read what the chart is saying, then it's a useless slide. Tim Cook, Steve Jobs would never put a shitty chart, oops, a crappy chart on a slide at an Apple keynote. But I see a lot of executives put crappy charts on their keynote slides. And I'm like, well, do you want to be David Brent or do you want to be Steve Jobs? And, you know, I think I know what the answer would be. And yet the evidence doesn't show that answer. That is, yeah. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, no, it's so, it's so true. I mean, yeah, I'm just, uh, my mind was just going back to other meetings I've sat in over the years where, you know, I'm sure the data was well, perfectly correct, but you're just looking at this thing. This, no, this was it. Um, and the, the person responsible for this uh, knows this because I spoke to her about it. But this, I, I was sat in a, in a meeting. We had a, we had a monthly meeting in, in Tableau. This was about six years ago. And every month, the, our CMO would stand in front of this terrible chart and it was the, it was always the same chart so and it was the chart of like you know uh, lead generation of all our product suites and every month she'd go oh the chart looks a bit complicated but as you can see this is up and that's down and it's up year on year and after about a year of this i was like i've sat in this room i can't see that in the chart at all i mean i could take the chart and i could with a slide rule printing it out and i could it, it was showing it but it would take me like about four or five minutes to understand that from the thing. It's like, hang on, you can't say, as you can see, blah, 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 if everybody in the room is like, I can't see it, right? So at that point, you know, you just turn the slide off, just say, just tell us the information or redesign the chart, show that it does answer the questions we did, wanted to see every month. So we ended up redesigning it and then she could say, as you can see, these products are going up, these products are going down. And and I think it's it's really incumbent on how, how effective a leader or a communicator do you want to be? Because if you're going to stand in front of a bunch of peers 
and visually use something visual, then that visual needs to support what you're saying, not just be a crutch that you didn't really think about. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, but basically, I, I sat in the meeting and I, 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 I flipped. I wrote a bunch of notes, and I've ever since uh, cared deeply about data presentation. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So go on then, give us some practical tips about kind of what good looks like. And I guess this is going to be this this intrigues me because I guess you know often data teams are trying to present very complex problems into simple effective visualizations right so that they can yeah. kind of complement that with verbal communication and you know back to the and as you can see type yeah. of moment right so what does good look like is there any practical tips around things to consider then when you're putting together a, a viz for that? yeah i'll give you i'll give you uh four, four tips uh but it, it is funny i have gone and done sort of keynote presentations at a whole you know conference days and sometimes if i'm the opening presenter everyone then follows going oh and he's going to be judging my slides <laughs> oh yeah sorry i am but hopefully we'll improve the next time. okay <clears throat> four tips first of all if you're so so i'm going to talk specifically about when you're using charts to present data uh in a in a in a room or on a, a on a zoom or in a keynote or wherever First of all, think about how long the chart is going to be on a screen for. Um, Seth Godin, leading marketer, once said, "The only a, a chart can only be successful if it can be understood in under two seconds. I actually totally disagree with him. You can show incredibly complicated charts and really, really deep, detailed data displays on a presentation if you take the time to explain it. Anybody who's seen Hans Rosling... Uh, do his data talks, his TED talk from 2006. He showed an incredibly complicated animated scatter plot with multiple dimensions of color and size uh, and all sorts of stuff going on. But he spent two and a half minutes explaining what the chart was. And then when he animated it, we all understood it. If he'd have just gone, oh, here's my complicated chart. And as you can see, China's doing better than Russia. We'd be like, what? Don't get it. Right. So, so 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 you can you you can think about the time on screen. You can build charts that can be un understood in seconds or if it's a complicated chart you need to tell the users what they're looking at and so that they can understand the insights. Uh secondly th the power of formatting is really important. Um a wise man once told me uh the smallest font on your slide should be the age of the oldest person in the room, right? Now, it takes a moment to pass that. The smallest font should be the age of the oldest person in your room. When I was told that, I was about 21, and I just blithely ignored it. I was like, yeah, whatever, old man. And now I'm 51, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> because guess what? Your eyes get worse, and guess guess who's the older people in the room? Your CXOs are over 40, over 50, and they can't <laughs> read your slide. So... Fonts need to be readable. Not every single character needs to be readable. The title needs to be huge font, you know, 50, 60 point font. And then just make sure the insight, make sure the, the insights that you want to convey are conveyed in a big enough font that is readable. Again, you will, you, everybody listening and Kyle, next time you're in a presentation with a chart, and you're like, I can't read that font. I can't read it. Hang on. That's not right. Same is true of color. You can use color to um, 
draw attention to the bits of the visualization you want you know don't just make everything a pretty rainbow use color just you know make it make everything gray apart from the one thing you want people to see and make that red or something like that um final thing is and a really good way of grasping the importance of this is the next time you're in a big meeting room or in a keynote room take your smartphone and hold it up in front of you so that the 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 big screen is behind the phone. And what you will almost always see is that the smartphone in front of you actually takes up more of the visual space in front of you than the big screen does in the background, right? And this is a big mistake for any presenter, whether they're doing data or any presentation. It's like, oh, I'm in a keynote room or I'm in the meeting room with a 130-inch TV. It's like, yeah, it's physically a big space, but the person at the back of the room, it's not a big screen, right? It's smaller than their smartphone in terms of their visual uh the visual span so just take that on board and realize oh yeah it's got to be something that could be readable if it was on a smartphone so there you go there's there's some tips nice nice yeah very very useful um i'll take this back then to who should care about this stuff and you touched upon something earlier which um intrigued me and i want to kind of take us back there because i guess what you often find is Many data leaders will be sat in meetings with their CXOs and often presenting data in a way that is often to do, you know, reporting, let's say sales performance or whatever the case yeah. may be. But you made a very good point around how data and, and visualizations can be used to basically prove or support an argument or a point that they're trying mm-hmm. to make. I guess in your perspective, how how do you see that play out? Do, do you see many data leaders out there kind of using data visualizations to communicate, to try and, you know, um, get buy-in and all of the adoption and all of that type of stuff? Or is it more just the usual, you know, here's the report of last month's sales figures and, you know, this was good and this was bad and so on and so forth? This is a complicated one. I think <laughs> anybody who's in, well, you know, I I, I see this in sales or, or anything that has a cyclical repetitive nature right in sales it's like okay we're, we're driving towards the end of the quarter and then we start again and then we start again and then we're driving towards the year and the end of year and then we start again so in some ways you are always looking at the same data and you're always looking in sales at a line that's kind of going up and is it going up fast enough or not fast enough this quarter and the challenge is it's really hard to make that compelling every single month because Essentially, it's always doing the same thing. But what you care about, so so what you offer, what, what we saw in sales an awful lot, certainly in Tableau, is we'd see the entire sales dashboard. And the bit that was interesting is a tiny little segment of the screen, right? If I'm if I'm if I'm looking at my dashboard tracking sales, then I'm going to be looking at that on my own laptop screen, and I want the biggest context of all the background of the sales data right so it worked that complicated display with a lot of information works as a monitoring dashboard if i copy and paste that dashboard into a presentation slide then i'm pasting a really deeply contextual thing where the only context is actually the gap between current sales and projected and target sales which might fit you know right at the end of one line chart in the top right of the screen so well why not make that the chart? Make so does it, you know, make the chart that fits the insight you're trying to show. The benefit of doing that is a the chart is more relevant, 
uh, B, it's more impactful. And, and yeah, and it's just less boring, right? If I'm sat in the same meeting every single month, I get bored of these charts. Uh, and so I'm trying to, I was trying to get here to the, one of the leaders who I think I've worked for that did this in the most inspiring way was guy James Iloa. He ran Tableau in Europe uh, for many years and has now retired. But he worked with an analyst, and every month he'd come to the presentation, come to do his monthly sales with a completely different chart. I mean, it was hard work. Right, but every month he 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 realized that if he if he showed a, a an interesting chart every month and presented it correctly and explained the insights, it was really compelling. It was absolutely you know. So we were like, it, it was just really compelling. Uh, yeah, I don't feel like I've given away given a concise piece of advice there because I think the answer is really complicated. No, no, no. That I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think what I was trying to get to is is there maybe a misconception here that data visualization is just for analysts that create dashboards right whereas actually it should be used as well by data leaders and it should be used at all levels of the organization well, I, yeah absolutely i mean i i mean let's turn the tables carl i mean do, how do you use how do you use data in your organization what what kind of thing are you trying to track yeah all kinds of different things so uh anything from you know sales performance um through to conversion from yeah. you know cv submitted to interviews through to usage of tools internally yeah. you know so and yeah obviously financials um so and, and with that i guess when you i don't know so i don't I, we have obviously haven't prepared this i don't know how much you <laughs> use data in your communications but i guess you've got opportunities to talk about things you are monitoring right so how do you talk about that data with your peers but also do you ever do you ever use data to talk about uh opportunities or unexpected insights you have discovered i don't know yeah do you ever- yeah so i mean we, we we do obviously as you'd probably expect only quite a lot around this space because we get quite a lot of good advice which yeah. um, <laughs> you, you know makes it easier for us to do in comparison to some of our competitors i, I guess but but yeah we, we've and there's several tools that we use on the back end that do things like uh i guess gamification of that data uh-huh. as well right yeah. to make it more visual and exciting and, yeah you know so so yeah a- absolutely but yeah because well, because i think but the, the the thing here is that the data is a presentation mechanism and a, as a chain as a driver of change is that sure we're monitoring what we need to monitor because you know i know my sales target is 10 million this year or whatever it is but another hugely important aspect is well, yeah, okay, I'm on target. But look at this data. I found that if we pivot and you know change the way we do podcast promotion, we'll generate another 600 leads a month or 6,000 leads a month. Uh, having the power and flexibility to do that, to share the monitoring information is great, but having that opportunity to go down the path of presenting data as an opportunity for discussion and driving change is also really important. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so that answers my question then, which the, I guess the next part of that question would be, does the audience matter and how is their differences? You know, if you're presenting to your CXO versus, I don't know, your accounting team, for example, mm-hmm. are there any differences there in terms of how you, you know, present that data and I guess translate the insight? Well, I, I think I, I think, I think in terms of presenting data, I might say there's not much of a difference in that I generally, you've got to design your visual your your data 
driven insights in such a way that that audience can understand them in the time it is on the screen for the actual content of the insights might change right you know the ceo cares about business level strategic goals and the further down the, the hierarchy you go it becomes slightly more tactical kind of insights you're wanting to show and in fact actually that's something that uh i've I noticed something a few years ago, and I've started noticing a lot now as I speak to, as we speak to customers who are on their sort of data culture journey. Uh, at the start, companies that are slightly less data mature really care about building. It's like we need to do BI, we need to do analytics because we need our high level dashboard, right? So they go ahead and they build their sales monitoring dashboard for the uh, chief revenue officer and the CEO, and they go, "Hey, we've done, we've done it, we've done business intelligence." And everybody used this dashboard. But it's like once you get down to the actual sale account executive, they're like, well, hang on, a big high-level KPI dashboard is useless to me because I can't nudge that directly. I need I need data about at a granular level showing, you know, what are my prospects doing? What are they, what's their activity on a website? So yeah, so pivoting to the type of dashboards different people need is to be successful in an organization, you've got to make sure you're satisfying the needs of the implementers as well as the strategic leaders uh, yeah and that's that's hard that's hard i guess that comes back to the whole conversation around being able to ask the right question for the right audience right to understand absolutely what, what the drivers yeah. are and yeah. how they would use that and, and all yeah. that type of good stuff yeah yeah what's what's the link here in your opinion then because obviously we hear often you know gartner famously said and it's it stuck ever since and we've been saying the same thing for however many years it's been since they said it but you know 85 percent of data analytics projects are not adding the value that we are expecting them to add uh -huh. culture always comes out the top of the list as you know that we don't have a data culture that you know seeps into low adoption which seeps into a lack of literacy or whatever the case may be yeah. where, where does the the communication with data and the translation in a verbal form, where, where does that fit, in your opinion, into that conversation? Before I answer that question, I'd love to go and do a data project to go and look at the la all the predictions that Gartner have made over the last 20 years because they make a <laughs> prediction for the next five. They always make predictions and see how many of them came true. Um, my hunch is it's not very many. <laughs> uh now I forgot. Ask the question again, Carl. Sorry. <laughs> I was saying you know, the the I guess the relationship or the link between communicating with data via visits and obviously the translation of 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 that in a verbal format into the whole conversation around driving change of culture and adoption and literacy. Yeah. Well, I think driving adoption and about the data culture has become a great rallying cry for organisations. Want this and. You know, all all the all the big vendors, including us, are, are happily churning out uh, content and marketing materials and and thought and you know genuine materials on how to build about the data culture. The challenge is it's really hard, uh, and it it to some extent it comes right back to what we said right at the start with soft skills. Right, I I as a leader can quite easily look at a spreadsheet, a budget spreadsheet and go, okay, we're going to pay X thousand pounds on um, licenses. And then we can spend X thousand pounds on training in how to use the product. And then, you know, and then all the other sundry uh, infrastructure costs about supporting business. And you're like, great, we've done business intelligence. And guess what? It doesn't work because 
the the hard skills of all the that are not to do with the engineering and infrastructure uh and so successful uh leaders who are implementing data cultures really build in time to focus on all these other things that we we're not allowed to call soft skills and now i'm going to so i'm just going to call them the other hard skills <laughs> and that involves creating a culture of uh collaboration and again it takes time in investing it 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 created a culture of questioning data. I'll come back to that. I'm going to come back to questioning data. Um, and teaching people basic data literacy skills. And I mean, the, teaching data literacy skills is possibly beyond the scope of what we could cover this uh, session. But, uh, you know, I'm happy to give you links or come on again and we can talk about that. I just want to come back to questioning data. Um Something we we hear customers a lot go we we need we need we need Tableau or we need to improve our our use of data in the organisation. And why is it, why is that, Mister or Mrs. Customer? It's like well, because we get into a meeting and we spend half the meeting arguing about the data, and they're articulating articulating a real problem in that they can't agree what sales is this month. But I kind of always say to them, it's like well, actually, I think that's a that's a, a nirvana to try and achieve being arguing about the data because the sign that it's a successful thing is where you actually you've agreed what the the source of data is. You know, you've got your data in a good state. So now you're arguing about the data because you're arguing about the causes of the insights you're seeing. Um, so I, I just think, yeah, organizations that say, oh, we spend a lot of time arguing about the data. I think that could be a good thing because if you're arguing about the data for a positive reason, that'd be cool. Yeah, makes uh Makes perfect sense. You touched upon there, obviously, the the literacy piece. And again, we definitely don't have time to jump into that. But we hear a lot now about self-serve and mm -hmm. data democratization and all of this stuff, which I guess in theory gives uh, a lot of people the ability to access this data and be creating their own visualizations. How do you put some guardrails around that as a kind of data leader or data team to, you know, if that's happening, helping them to do it right or better or because i imagine that must be a problem yeah it's a big one I, I so prior to tableau disrupting the market the the bi industry had swung to uh focusing very heavily on governance you know data with data access was restricted you know and that's what that i hated that as a data analyst at the university of oxford it's like you know you guys you people running data centrally have no clue about the questions i need to ask of my data and so i was completely railing against it Tableau kind of disrupted that and the pendulum swung hugely to the other way. And it was like, well, hey, now Andy, I've got access to everything. Brilliant. <laughs> and then being slightly overenthusiastic and uh, not caring about IT's uh, procedures, I did then make some uh, data security mistakes, which could have ended my career. So I'm not going to exp expand into that. <laughs> Fortunately, they all got caught just in time. But that was a really interesting learning point because it's like, oh yeah, they they the IT guys, they kind of they kind of had a point that they need governance. Otherwise, these rogue idiots like me will go and you know, uh, yeah, but make mistake, make make potentially dangerous, make potentially uh, impactful mistakes about sharing data. So uh, anyway, so as Tableau kind of disrupted the market in the twenty eleven to twenty fifteen, we swung it to self service, but then organizations recognized there were a lot of Andes and it's like, oh my God, we've got no control of the data. So things started swinging back and Tableau realized we, we had to do much more about governance. 
it is possible to uh, now do self-service and governance pretty well in an organization. Uh, one of the great Im uh, improvements we made on our own platform is our data management capabilities are really powerful now. So if you're the governance people, then you can look at how data is being used across the Tableau ecosystem and really monitor who is using which data source, where it's being used, and what, what people are deriving from your central data sources. And this is really powerful because you can give the champions of data across the organization, i.e. the people who know the data, the ability to uh, extend the certified data sources, right, so to meet their needs. But as the IT person, you can see what they're doing. So you and then and as they're being built, you then have the power to either ask them what they're doing, uh, see if they're doing it correctly, and if they're useful uh, calculations or or enhancements, then you can incorporate them into the certified main data model. And I think having that happy medium is really powerful. It requires decentralizing your data certification model to an extent. Again, giving, you know, there's Andy over there. He's in the student admin uh, section. Well, he knows how that student data sets is. We will give him the responsibility, i.e., you know, the, the, the <laughs> you know, it'll be on his head if he makes a mistake uh, to certify data sources, which is probably what I should have had back in 2007. So I think, I think we're in a happier place these days that you can marry self service and governance. Um, it was a fun wild west while I had it. <laughs> but uh, the guardrails are really important yeah yeah makes sense um well conscious of time andy uh it's been a very insightful conversation last thing i want to ask you then if there are uh data leaders business leaders out there that i guess wanting some inspiration around how they can do you know data visualization dashboarding etc better communicate better with data and and so on um obviously outside of following you and all of your fabulous work who else would you recommend for them to to follow yeah, well, yes. I mean, obviously, I'd love people to follow me. Uh, I do a sweet spot newsletter and chart chat monthly. Uh, I, as Cole, uh, Cole Naflick, who wrote the Storytelling with Data uh, book and does the training courses. In fact, she's got four books out now. Uh, she's absolutely fantastic in this field of data communication. Alberto Cairo uh, wrote How Charts Lie. And that's a really, really good book, uh, well worth of anybody's uh, read. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think they would be two great people to follow. And, and there's also the Data Visualization Society, uh, which is a, just a really good community and group of people for data practitioners from across all fields of data viz, whether that's data engineering right through to data artists. Uh, so that's a good place to go and learn nice andy thank you very much for your time most appreciated uh very very insightful conversation and uh yeah look forward to staying in touch all right brilliant well thanks kyle that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics until then Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. 